Chapter One of Hagar of the Pawn Shop. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Hagar of the Pawn Shop by Fergus Hume. The Coming of Hagar. Jacob Dix was a pawnbroker, but not a Jew. Notwithstanding his occupation and the Hebraic sound of his baptismal name, he was so old that no one knew his real age, so grotesque in looks that children jeered at him in the streets, so avaricious that throughout the neighborhood he was called Skinflint. If he possessed any hidden good qualities to counterbalance his known bad ones, no person had ever discovered them or even had taken the trouble to look for them certainly jacob surly and uncommunicative was not an individual inclined to encourage uninvited curiosity in his pawn-shop he lived like an ogre in a fairy-tale castle and no one ever came near him save to transact business to wrangle during the transaction thereof and to curse him at its conclusion thus it may be guessed that jacob drove hard bargains the pawn-shop situated in carvey's crescent lambeth furthermore resembled an ogre's castle inasmuch as though not filled with dead men's bones it contained the relics and wreckage the flotsam and jetsam of many lives of many households placed in the centre of the dingy crescent it faced a small open space and the entrance of the narrow lane which led therefrom to the adjacent thoroughfare in its windows begrimed with the dust of years a heterogeneous mixture of articles was displayed ranging from silver teapots to well-worn saucepans from gold watches to rusty flat-irons from the chisel of a carpenter to the ivory-framed mirror of a fashionable beauty the contents of dix's window typified in little the luxury the meanness the triviality and the decadence of latter-day civilization there was some irony too in the disposition of incongruous articles for the useful and useless were placed significantly in proximity and the trifles of frivolity were mingled with the necessaries of life here a dresden china figure bright-hued and dainty simpered everlastingly at a copper warming-pan there a silver-handled dagger of the renaissance lay with a score of those cheap dinner-knives whose bluntness one execrates in third-rate restaurants the bandaged hand of a pharaonic mummy touched an agate saucer holding defaced coins of all ages of all nations watches in alternate rows of gold and silver dangled over fantastic temples and ships of ivory carved by laborious chinese artificers on a square of rich brocade woven of silks multicolored as a parrot's plumage were piled in careless profusion medals charms old-fashioned rings set with dim gems and the frail glass bangles of indian notch girls a small cabinet of japanese lacquer black with grotesque gilded figures thereon talismans of coral from southern italy designed to avert the evil eye 
jewelled pipes of turkey set roughly with blue turquoise stones georgian caps with embroideries of tarnished gold amulets earrings bracelets snuff-boxes and mosaic brooches from florence all these frivolities were thrown the one on top of the other and all were overlaid with fine gray dust wreckage of many centuries dry bones of a hundred social systems dead or dying what a commentary on the durability of empire on the inherent pride of pygmy man within doors the shop was small and dark a narrow counter running lengthways divided the whole into two parts on the side nearest the entrance three wooden screens by their disposition formed four sentry-boxes into which customers stepped when bent on business jacob wizen cunning and racked by an eternal cough hovered up and down the space within the counter wrangling incessantly with his customers and cheating them on every occasion he never gave the value of a pawned article he fought over every farthing and even when he obtained the goods at his own price he grudged payment for every coin he put down was a drop of blood wrung from his withered heart he rarely went outside the shop he never mingled with his fellow-creatures and the day's chicanery ended he retired invariably into a gloomy back parlor the principal adornment of which was a gigantic safe built into the wall here he counted his gains and saw doubtful customers not receivable in the shop who came by stealth to dispose of stolen goods here also in his lighter moments he conversed with the only friend he possessed in carby's crescent or indeed in london jacob was in no danger of becoming a popular idol this particular friend was a solicitor named vark who carried on a shady business in a shady manner for shady clients his name as he declared himself proved him to be of polish descent but it was commonly reported in the neighborhood that vark was made to rhyme with shark as emblematic of the estimation in which he was held he was hated only one degree less than jacob and the two connected primarily as lawyer and client later on had struck up a mistrustful friendship by reason of their mutual reputation and isolation neither one believed in the other each tried to swindle on his own account and never succeeded yet the two met nightly and talked over their diverse rascalities in the dingy parlor with a confidence begotten by an intimate knowledge of each other's character the reputations of both were so bad that the one did not dare to betray the other only on this basis is honor possible among thieves late one foggy november night jacob was seated with his crony over a pinched little fire which burnt feebly in a rusty iron grate the old pawnbroker was boiling some gruel and vark with his own private bottle of gin beside him was drinking a wine-glass of it mixed sparingly with water mr dick supplied this latter beverage as it cost nothing but vark on an understanding which dated from the commencement of their acquaintance 
always brought his own liquor a guttering candle in a silver candlestick a pawned article was placed on the deal table and gave forth a miserable light the fog from without had percolated into the room so that the pair sat in a kind of misty atmosphere hardly illuminated by the farthing dip such discomfort such squalor was only possible in a penurious establishment like that of jacob vark was a little lean wriggling creature more like a worm than a man made in the image of his creator he had a sharp nose a pimply face and two shifty fishy eyes green in hue like those of a cat his dress was of rusty black with a small very small display of linen and he rubbed his hands together with a cringing bow every time jacob croaked out a remark between his coughs mr dix coughed in a rich but faded dressing-gown the relic of some dandy of the regency and every paroxysm threatened to shake his frail form to pieces but the ancient was wonderfully tough and clung to life with a kind of desperate courage though heaven only knows what attraction the old villain found in his squalid existence this tenacity was not approved of by vark who had made jacob's will and now wished his client to die so that he as executor might have the fingering of the wealth which dix was reported to possess the heir to these monies was missing and vark was determined that he should never be found meanwhile with many schemes in his head he cringed to jacob and watched him cough over his gruel oh dear dear sighed mr vark speaking of his client in the third person as he invariably did how bad mr dix's cough is to-night why doesn't he try a taste of gin to moisten his throat can't afford it croaked jacob pouring the gruel into a bowl gin's worth money and money i ain't got make me a little present of a glass mr vark just to show that you're glad of my company vark complied very unwillingly with this request and poured as little as he well could into the proffered bowl what an engaging man he is said the lawyer smirking so convivial so full of spirits your spirits retorted jacob drinking his gruel what wit cried vark slapping his thin knees it's better than punch gin punch gruel punch said dix encouraged by this praise he <laughs> he i shall die with laughing i've paid for worse than that at the theatre more fool you growled jacob taking up the tongs you shouldn't pay for anything here get out i'm going to put out the fire i ain't going to burn this expensive coal to warm you and the candle's half burnt too concluded jacob resentfully i'm going i'm going said vark slipping his bottle into his pocket but to leave this pleasant company what a wrench here stop that stuff you ink-pot has my son answered that advertisement yet mr dix's son hasn't sent a line to his sorrowing parent returned the lawyer oh what a hard-hearted offspring 
you're right there man muttered jacob gloomily jimmy's left me to die all alone curse him then why leave him your money said vark changing into the first person as he always did when business was being discussed why you fool cause he's hagar's son the bad son of a good mother hagar stanley your wife your gypsy wife hey mr dix jacob nodded a pure-blooded romany i met her when i was a crocus crocus for cheap jack whined vark the wit this man has she came along of me to london when i set up here continued jacob without heeding the interruption and the town killed her she couldn't breathe in bricks and mortar after the free air of the road dead poor soul dead and she left me jimmy jimmy who's left me what a play of fancy began vark when seeing from the fierce look of jacob that compliments on the score of the dead wife were not likely to be well received he changed his tone he'll spend your money mr dix let him hagar's dead and when i die let him but my generous friend if you gave me more power as executor you'd take my money to yourself interrupted dix with irony not if i know it you shark your duty is to administer the estate by law for jimmy i pay you but so little whined vark rising if you at this moment there came a sharp knock at the door of the shop and the two villains always expectant of the police stared at one another motionless with terror for the moment vark who always took care of his skin snatched up his hat and made for the back door whence in the fog he could gain his own house unquestioned and unseen like a ghost he vanished leaving jacob motionless until aroused by a repetition of the knock can't be peelers he muttered taking a pistol out of the cupboard but it might be thieves well if it is he smiled grimly and without finishing his sentence he shuffled along to the door candle in hand a third knock came as the clock in the shop struck eleven who is there so late demanded jacob sharply i am hagar stanley with a cry of terror mr dix let the candle fall and in the darkness dropped also for the moment so much had his thoughts been running on his dead wife the unexpected mention of her name made him believe that she was standing rigid in her winding-sheet on the other side of the door one frail partition between the living and the dead it was terrible the ghost of hagar muttered dix white and shaking why has she come out of her grave and so expensive it was bricked with a marble tombstone let me in let me in mr dix cried the visitor again rapping she never called me by that name said jacob reassured and scrambling for the candle then having lighted it he added aloud i don't know any one called hagar stanley open the door and you will i'm your wife's niece flesh and blood said the old man fumbling at the lock 
I don't mind that. He flung wide the door, and out of the fog and darkness a young girl of twenty years stepped into the shop. She was dressed in a dark red garment made of some coarse stuff, and over this she wore a short black cloak. Her hands were bare, and also her head, save for a scarlet handkerchief, which was carelessly twisted round her magnificent black hair. The face was of the true Romany type oriental in its contour and hue with arched eyebrows over large dark eyes and a thin-lipped mouth beautifully shaped under a delicately curved nose face and figure were those of a woman who needed palms and desert islands and golden sunshine hot and sultry for an appropriate background yet this eastern beauty appeared out of the fog like some dead syrian princess and presented herself in all her rich loveliness to the astonished eyes of the old pawnbroker so you are the niece of my dead hagar he said staring earnestly at her in the thin yellow light of the candle yes it's true she looked like you when i met her in the new forest what do you want food and shelter replied the girl curtly but you'd better shut the door it might be bad for your reputation if any passer-by saw you speaking to a woman at this time of night my reputation chuckled jacob closing and bolting the door lord that's past spoiling if you knew how bad it is you wouldn't come here oh i can look after myself mr dix especially as you're old enough to be my great-grandfather twice over come come civil words young woman I'm civil to those who are civil to me, retorted Hagar, taking the candle out of her host's hands. Go on, Mr. Dix, show me in. I'm tired and want to sleep. I'm hungry and wish food. You must give me bed and board. Infernal insolence, young woman. Why? Because I'm kin to your dead Hagar. Ay, ay, there's something in that, muttered Dix and dominated in spite of his inherent obstinacy by the imperious spirit of the girl he led her into the dingy parlor here she removed her cloak and sat down while jacob in an unusual spirit of hospitality induced by the mention of his late wife produced some coarse victuals. without a word he placed the food before his guest without a word she ate and was refreshed Jacob marveled at the self-possession of the gypsy, and was rather pleased than otherwise with her bold coolness. Only when she had finished the last scrap of bread and cheese did he speak. His first remark was curt and rude, designedly so. "'You can't stay here,' said the amiable old man. The girl retorted in kind, "'I can, and I shall, Mr. Dix.' "'For what reason, you jade?' for several and all good ones said hagar leaning her chin on her hands and looking steadily at his wrinkled face i know all about you from a romany chal who was up here six months ago your wife is dead your son has left you and here you live alone disliked and hated by all you are old and feeble and solitary but you are by marriage akin to the gentle romany for that reason, and because I am of your dead Ronnie's blood, I have come to look after you. 
Jezebel. That is, if I'll let you. Oh, you'll let me fast enough, replied the woman carelessly. You are a miser, I have heard, so you won't lose the chance of getting a servant for nothing. A servant? You? said Dix, admiring her imperial air. Even so, Mr. Dix, I'll look after you and your house. I'll scrub and cook and mend. If you'll teach me your trade, I'll drive a bargain with anyone, and as hard and fast a one as you could drive yourself, and all these things I'll do for nothing. There's food and lodging, you hussy. Give me dry bread and cold water, your roof to cover me and a bundle of straw to sleep on. These won't cost you much, and I ask for nothing more, skinflint. How dare you call me that, you wild cat? It's what they call you hereabouts, said Hagar with a shrug. I think it suits you. Well, Mr. Dix, I have made my offer. I haven't accepted it yet, snapped Jacob, puzzled by the girl. Why do you come to me? Why don't you stay with your tribe? I can explain that in five minutes, Mr. Dix. We Stanleys are just now in the new forest. You know it? Truly, lass, said Dix sadly. "'Twas there I met my Hagar, and it is from there that I, the second Hagar, come," replied the girl. "'I was with my tribe, and I was happy till Goliath came.' "'Goliath?' inquired Jacob doubtfully. "'He is half a Gorgio and half Romany, a red-haired villain, who chose to fall in love with me. I hated him. I hate him still.' The woman's bosom rose and fell in short hurried pantings, and he would have forced me to be his wife. Pharaoh, our king, you know, would have forced me also to be this man's Ronnie. So I had no one to protect me, and I was miserable. Then I recalled what the chal had told me about you who wed with one of us. So I fled hither for your protection, and to be your servant. But Goliath, this red-haired brute, he does not know where I have gone. He will never find me here. Let me stay, Mr. Dix, and be your servant. I have nowhere to go to, no one to seek, save you, the husband of the dead Hagar, after whom I am named. Am I to stay or go, now that I have told you the truth? Jacob looked thoughtfully at the girl and saw tears glistening in her heavy eyelashes, although her pride kept them from falling. Moved by her helplessness, mindful of the wife whom he had loved so well, and alive to the advantage of possessing a white slave whom he could trust, the astute ancient made up his mind. Stay, he said quietly. I shall see if you will be useful to me. Useful and faithful, my girl. If so, bread and bed shall be yours. It's a bargain, said Hagar, with a sigh of relief. And now, old man, let me rest in peace, for I am weary and have walked many a long mile this day. So in this fashion came Hagar to the pawn-shop, and it was for this reason that Bark, to his great astonishment, found a woman, and what is more, a young and beautiful woman, established in the house of Jacob Dix. The news affected the neighborhood like a miracle, and new tales were repeated about Dix and his housekeeper, 
who report said was no better than she should be but hagar did not mind evil tongues nor did the old man without a spark of love or affection between them they worked together on a basis of mutual interest and all the days that jacob lived hagar served him faithfully whereat vark wondered it was not an easy life for the girl jacob was a hard master and made her pay dearly for bed and board hagar scrubbed walls and floors she mended such pawned dresses as required attention and cooked the frugal meals of herself and master the old pawnbroker taught her how to depreciate articles brought to be pawned how to haggle with their owners and how to wring the last sixpence out of miserable wretches who came to redeem their pledges in a short time hagar became as clever as jacob himself and he was never afraid to trust her with the task of making bargains or with the care of the shop she acquired a knowledge of pictures gems silverware china in fact all the information about such things necessary to an expert without knowing it the untaught gypsy girl became a connoisseur it required all hagar's patience to bear cheerfully the lot which she had chosen voluntarily her bed was hard her food meagre and the old man's sharp tongue was perpetually goading her by its bitterness jacob indeed sure of his slave since she had no other roof save his to cover her exercised all the petty arts of a tyrant he vented on her all the rage he felt against the son who had deserted him once he went so far as to attempt a blow but a single glance from the fierce eyes of hagar made him change his intention and cowed for once in his tyranny jacob never lifted his hand again against her he saw plainly enough that if he once raised the devil in this child of the free gypsy race there would be no laying it again but actual violence apart hagar's life was as miserable as a human being's well could be stifled in the narrow shop in the crowded neighborhood she longed at times for the free life of the road her thoughts recalled the green woods so cool and shady in summer they dwelt on the brown heath lonely in the starlight with the red flare of the gypsy fire casting fantastic shadows on caravan and tent in the darkness of night she would murmur the strange words of the callow jib like some incantation to compel memory to herself while arranging the curiosities in the shop window she would sing fragments of romany songs set in minor keys the nostalgia of the wilds of the encampment and the open road tortured her in the heats of summer and when winter descended she longed for the chill breath of country winds sweeping across moors laden with snow over pools rigid in the cold embrace of smooth and glassy ice in the pawn-shop she was an exile from her dream paradise of roaming liberty to make bad worse vark fell in love with her for the first time in his narrow selfish life a divine passion touched the gross soul of the thieves lawyer ravished by the dark loveliness of the girl 
dominated by her untamed spirit astonished by her clear mind and unerring judgment vark wished to possess this treasure there was also another reason for the offer of marriage which he made and this reason he put into words when he asked hagar to become his wife it took vark twelve months to make up his mind to this course and his wrath may be guessed when hagar refused him promptly the miserable wretch could not believe that she was in earnest oh dear sweet hagar he whined trying to clasp her hand you cannot have heard what your slave said hagar who was mending some lace and minding the shop in the absence of jacob looked up with a scornful smile what you call yourself in jest said she quietly i am in reality i sold myself into bondage for bare existence a year ago do you want to marry a slave mr vark yes yes then you will no longer need to work like a servant i would rather be a servant than your wife mr vark the girl's mad why because you are a scoundrel vark grinned amiably in no wise disturbed by this plain speaking my cleopatra we are all scoundrels in these parts jacob dix is is my master interrupted hagar sharply so leave him alone but this offer of yours my friend what benefit do you propose to gain if i accept it you're not asking me to be your wife without some motive why that's true enough my beauty chuckled vark lord how cunning you are to guess the motive is double one part love we'll say nothing about that man you don't know what love is the other motive money said vark curtly and without wasting words hm replied hagar with irony mr dix's money what penetration said the lawyer slapping his knee my word here's intelligence we'll pass over the usual compliments mr vark well how is mr dix's money to benefit you through me why said vark blinking his green eyes the old man's got a fancy for you my dear and all the liking he had for me he's given to you before you came he made a will in favor of his lost son and appointed me executor now that he sees what a sharp one you are he has made a new will leaving all the money to me i suppose that's a lie it is a lie retorted vark but one i wasn't going to tell you no the money is still left to the son but you are the executor under the new will now do you see no said hagar folding up her work i don't well if i marry you i'll administer the estate in your name for the benefit of the lost heir well that's just it said vark laying a lean finger on her knee the lost heir don't you understand we needn't look for him so we can keep the monies in our own hands and have some fine pickings out of the estate hagar rose and smiled darkly a nice little scheme and worthy of you said she contemptuously but there are two obstacles i'm not your wife and i am an honest girl 
try some of your lady clients mr vark i'm not for sale when she walked away vark scowled a scoundrel himself he could not understand this honesty which stood in the way of its own advancement biting his fingers he stared after hagar and wondered how he could catch her in his net if that old miser would only leave her his heiress he thought she'd have no scruples about taking the money then and if she had the money i'd force her to be my wife but jacob is set on giving all his wealth to that infernal son of his who so often wished his father to die aha sighed vark rubbing his hands i wish i could prove that he tried to kill the old man jacob wouldn't leave him a penny then and hagar would have the money and i would have her what a lovely dream why can't it come true it was such a lovely dream and offered such opportunities for scoundrelly dealings that vark set to work at once to translate it into actual facts he had many of the letters and bills of the absent jimmy who had been accustomed to come to him for the money refused by the paternal dicks counting on the old man's death vark had lent the son money for his profligacy at a heavy percentage and intended to repay himself out of the estate now that hagar was to handle the money instead of himself he thought that there might be some difficulty over his usury owing to the girl's absurd honesty he therefore determined to give proofs to jacob that the absent son had designed to rid himself of a troublesome father by secret murder once dix got such an idea into his head he might leave his wealth to hagar the heiress would then be wooed and won by skilful scheming mr vark it was a beautiful idea and quite simple among his many shady clients vark possessed one who was a clever forger and who occasionally retired to one of her majesty's prisons for too frequently exercising his talents in that direction at the present moment he was at large vark gave him a bundle of jimmy's letters and the draft of a memorandum which he wished to be imitated in the handwriting of the absent heir when this was ready vark watched his opportunity and slipped it into a chinese jar in the back parlor in which he knew jimmy had been accustomed to keep tobacco this receptacle stood on a high shelf and had not been touched by jacob since his son's departure vark like the clever scoundrel he was ascertained this fact by the thick and undisturbed dust which coated jar and shelf the trap being thus prepared it only remained to lead jacob into it and this mr vark arranged to do in the most skilful manner he quite counted on success but one necessary element thereto he overlooked and that was the aid of hagar but as he had designed the whole scheme primarily for her benefit he never thought she would refuse to forward its aim which blindness showed that he was incapable of appreciating or even understanding the honesty of the girl's character according to his custom 
he came one evening to converse with jacob the room with its solitary candle the starved fire and the foggy atmosphere were the same as on the night when hagar had arrived save that now hagar herself sat sewing by the table she frowned when vark came cringing into the room but beyond greeting him with a slight nod she took no notice of the smiling scoundrel vark produced his bottle of gin and sat down near the fire opposite to jacob who on this night looked very old and feeble the old man was breaking up fast and was more querulous and crabbed than ever as usual he asked vark if jimmy had answered the advertisement and as usual he received a negative reply jacob groaned i'll die this winter said he with moody face and no one will be by to close my eyes what is this i hear mr dix say cried vark smilingly he forgets our beautiful hagar hagar is all very well but she is not jimmy perhaps if our dear friend knew all he would be pleased that she isn't hagar looked up in surprise at the significant tones of vark and jacob scowled what do you mean you shark he demanded a light coming into his faded eyes why replied the lawyer luring on the old pawnbroker jimmy was a scoundrel i know that man snapped jacob he wanted your money i know that also he wished for your death it's probable he did retorted jacob nodding but he was content to let me take my own time to die hmm i'm not so sure of that guessing that vark had some scheme in his head which he was striving to bring to fulfilment hagar dropped her sewing and looked sharply at him as vark spoke she saw him glance at the chinese jar and mentally wondered what possible connection that could have with the subject of conversation on this point she was soon enlightened vark said dick seriously are you going to tell me that jimmy wished to kill me the lawyer held up his hands in horror oh dear that i should be so misunderstood he said in a piteous tone jimmy was not so bad as that my venerable friend but if someone else had put you out of the way he would not have been sorry do you mean hagar let him dare to say so cried the girl leaping to her feet with flaming eyes i do not know your son mr dix what said vark softly not red-haired jimmy hagar sat down with a pale face red-haired she muttered goliath no it is impossible vark looked at hagar and she stared back at him again with the approaching senility of old age jacob had ceased to take part in the conversation and was moodily staring at the miserable fire a trembling and palsied creature the idea hinted at by vark that hagar had been employed by jimmy to destroy him so stupefied his brain that he was incapable of even expressing an opinion seeing this the lawyer glided away from the dangerous topic to carry out the second part of his scheme 
oh dear dear he said hunting in his pockets my pipe is empty and i have no tobacco with me then go without it mr vark said hagar sharply there's no tobacco here oh yes i think in that jar said the lawyer pointing one lean finger at the high shelf jimmy's jar leave jimmy's jar alone mumbled jacob savagely what will not mr dick spare one tiny pipe of tobacco for his old friend whined vark going towards the shelf oh i think so i am certain and with this one of his long arms shot upwards to seize the jar jacob rose unsteadily as vark took down the article and he scowled fiercely at the daring of his visitor indifferent to what was going on hagar continued her sewing leave that jar of jimmy's alone i tell you snarled dix seizing the poker i'll break your fox's head if you don't violence and from gentle mr dix cried vark still gripping the jar oh no no not at all if he at this moment jacob lost patience and delivered a swinging blow at the lawyer's head ever watchful vark threw himself to one side and the poker crashed down on the jar which he held in his hands in a moment it lay in fragments on the floor a pile of broken china a loose bit of dried tobacco and a carelessly folded paper see what your angry passion has done said vark pointing reproachfully to the debris you have broken poor jimmy's jar jacob threw the poker inside the fender and bent to pick up the folded paper which he opened in a mechanical manner always methodical hagar went out of the room to fetch a dustbin and broom before she could return with them she was recalled by a cry from vark and on rushing back she saw jacob prone on the floor among the broken china he had fainted and the paper was still clutched in his hand bring water salts cried vark his eyes filled with a triumphant light at the success of his plot my venerable friend is ill what have you been doing to him demanded hagar as she loosened the scarf round the old man's neck i nothing he read that paper which fell out of the jar jimmy's jar added vark pointedly and went down like a ninepin there was a jug of water on the table used by vark for diluting his gin so hagar sprinkled the wrinkled face of her master with this fluid and slapped his hands vark looked on rather anxiously he did not wish the old man to die yet and jacob was a long time coming out of his swoon this paper made him faint said vark removing it from jacob's feeble grasp let us see what it says he knew the contents quite well but nevertheless he read it aloud in a distinct voice for the benefit of hagar thus ran the words memo to extract the juice of foxglove a poison difficult to trace nothing can be proved after death small doses daily in old man's tea or gruel he would die in a few weeks without suspicion will trust nobody but will prepare drug myself hagar looked steadily at vark 
who wrote that she said in a low voice the old man's son or you i cried vark with well simulated indignation why should i write it or how could i write it the penmanship is that of james dix it was concealed in his tobacco jar the jar was broken by accident you saw it yourself do you dare to be silent interrupted hagar raising jacob's head he is reviving the old pawnbroker opened his eyes and looked wildly around little by little his senses returned to him and he sat up then with the aid of hagar he climbed into his chair and began to talk and sigh little jimmy wants me to die he moaned feebly hagar's son wants to kill me foxglove poison i know it not a trace does it leave after death hagar's son hagar's boy parricide parricide he cried shaking his two fists in the air he wanted the money you know hinted vark softly he shall not have the money said jacob with unnatural energy i'll make a new will i'll disinherit him parricide hagar shall have all i mr dix no no i say yes you jade don't cross a dying man i am dying this is my death blow oh jimmy jimmy wolf's cub my will my will pushing back hagar who strove to keep him in his chair he snatched up the candle and staggered towards the safe to get his will while he was looking within vark hastily fumbled in his capacious pockets when jacob replaced the candle on the table hagar saw thereon a sheet of paper covered with writing also pen and ink jacob clutching the will beheld these things also and anticipated the question on hagar's lips what's all this your new will mr dix explained vark smoothly i never did trust your son and i knew some day that you would find him out i therefore prepared a will by which you left everything to hagar or added the lawyer taking another document from his pocket if you chose to make me your heir you you never shrieked jacob shaking his fist all shall go to hagar the namesake of my dead wife i'm glad you had the sense to see that failing jimmy i'd leave her my money mr dix interrupted hagar firmly i do not want your money and you have no right to rob your son of no right no right you jade the money is mine mine it shall be yours i could have forgiven anything to jimmy save his wish to poison me i don't believe he did wish it said hagar bluntly but the paper his own handwriting cried vark yes yes i know jimmy's handwriting said jacob the veins in his forehead swelling with rage he is a devil a par par the violence of his temper was such that hagar stepped forward to soothe him even vark felt alarmed keep quiet you old fool said he roughly you'll break a blood vessel here sign this will i'll witness it and he stopped and whistled shrilly 
a man appeared here is another witness said vark sign it's a plot a plot cried hagar don't sign mr dix i don't want the money i'll make you take it hussy snarled jacob crushing the will up in his hand i shall leave it to you not to jimmy the parricide first i'll destroy this with the old will he approached the fire and threw it in with the swiftness of a swallow hagar darted past him and snatched the document away from the flames before it was even scorched jacob staggered back mad with rage vark ground his teeth at her opposition the stranger witness looked stolidly on no cried hagar slipping the will into her pocket you shall not disinherit your son for me give give will panted jacob and almost inarticulate with rage he stretched out his hand before he could draw it back he reeled and fell a torrent of blood poured from his mouth he was dead you fool shrieked vark stamping you've lost a fortune i've saved my honesty retorted hagar aghast at the sudden death jimmy shall have the money jimmy jimmy sneered vark wrathfully do you know who jimmy is yes the rightful heir quite so you jade and the red-haired goliath who drove you to this pawn-shop it is a lie it is the truth you have robbed yourself to enrich your enemy hagar looked at the sneering face of vark at the dead man lying at her feet at the frightened countenance of the witness she felt inclined to faint but afraid lest vark should steal the will which she had in her pocket she controlled herself with a violent effort before vark could stop her she rushed out of the room and into her bedroom the lawyer heard the key turn in the lock i've lost the game he said moodily go and get assistance you fool this to the witness then when the man had fled away he continued to give up all that money to the red-haired man whom she hated the girl's mad but she was only honest therefore her conduct was unintelligible to vark so this was how hagar stanley came to take charge of the pawn-shop in carby's crescent lambeth her adventures therein may be read hereafter end of chapter one